their lives, okay? So that thought, chapter 5 and chapter 6, and his whole thought uh, is still the same about church discipline, and we'll see that carried out in chapter number 6. But before we go any farther, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and uh, pray together and ask the Lord's blessings on our time together and ask that he would open up our hearts and our minds and, and help us to receive the word this morning. Why are we doing that? Because God's word is spiritually discerned. Uh, an unbelieving, unsaved man just cannot comprehend and understand God's word. It's spiritually discerned, according to Corinthians. Uh, so we need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word, shine his light on the word, open up our hearts, our minds, our understanding, so that we can receive God's word uh, through the Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers. Okay? Anyone have a, a spoken prayer request that you would like to share with us today? And we'll take that to prayer this morning. Anyone? All right. Okay, let's just pray together today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to come into your house and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And thank you for this gem that we're able to convert into a sanctuary today and a dwelling place where we invite your presence, where we come to worship you and to focus on you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for these that have bared the elements of, of the weather outside and, and came on out, even though the snow was on the ground, just to study your word this morning. And Father, I pray that we would all leave here today with a tremendous blessing uh, that only comes from you. Give us knowledge of your word. I pray that you would help us to, to grow, to be mature believers as a result of studying your word together on these Sunday mornings. Uh, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church, and thank you, God, for uh, so many people that are willing to step up and serve, and, and, um, and God, it's exciting to see what's taking place here at Victory with uh, people willing to work and to serve. I pray, God, you'd bless them. Uh, bless our reading of our word to your word today and the study of your word, and, and uh, give us insight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, let's just read verse 1 down through verse number 9 this morning and um, <clears throat> we'll see how far we can get today okay the bible says paul is writing to the church at corinth in chapter 6 verse 1 he says this he says does any of you who has a complaint against someone dare go to law or to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is judged by you are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases, verse 3, do you not know that we will judge angels not to speak of things pertaining to this life? So if you have cases pertaining to this life, <clears throat> do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? Look what he says in verse 5. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who will be able to arbitrate between his brothers? In verse 6, instead, brother goes to law or court against brother, and that before unbelievers. And therefore, it is already a total defeat for you that you have lawsuits against one another. Why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you act unjustly and cheat and this to brothers. Do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? And I'll stop right there. And that will transition into the next part. But here's what I want you to see. 
The church at Corinth was feuding one with another. And the main thing that we see taking place in chapter 6 is not only was there sexual immorality that we saw in chapter 5, but now we see where the church members in the church at Corinth were at each other's throats in such a way that they were taking each other to the civil courts, the courts of unbelievers outside the church and suing each other for their indifferences in what was taking place. If you remember back when we started this segment on chapter 5 and chapter 6, we're dealing with church discipline here. And what Paul is doing, he's putting his thumb or his finger on some of the sins that are in the church. And he wants them to consider several different elements of their sins. In chapter 5, he wanted them to consider the church. Consider the church, how they were allowing sin to go in the church without ever being exposed or confronted. And that sin was sexual immorality that we've spent several weeks on. In chapter number 6, in the first part of chapter number 6, verse 1 through 8, now he's asking the believers at Corinth, the church members at Corinth, to now not only consider the church, but consider the lost sinners. Consider those outside the church. Because there are several things that are being wrecked in the church at Corinth. And one was their testimony and their witness on how they were just at at odds or feuding one with another in such a way that they were going outside the church to ask unbelieving Gentile world nation, if you will, to judge what they were doing in the church. And it was ruining, it was destroying their testimony. Matter of fact, the church at Corinth, can you see that they were rapidly losing their testimony? Can you see that? With what we've studied in chapter 5 and now in chapter 6 where we have brother going to court and suing another brother and taking their problems out into the world and the whole world, really, it's, it's a no-win situation and we'll see that in just a moment. Matter of fact, there's only one person that wins when this takes place and that's the devil, right? Because we're ruining, in the church at Corinth, was ruining their testimony out in the world with these lawsuits against one another. Now, you've got to understand something. In the culture of that day, the Greeks in that day were very prominent about taking each other to court. Matter of fact, in one of their playwrights, uh, one person asked in his playwright, he looked at a map and he asked, where is Greece located? And someone, this is one of their plays that they had in this century, this, that particular day, and they pointed and they said, right there. And the individual looked back and he replied, he said, there must be no, some mistake. That cannot be Greece because I see no lawsuits taking place there. Now, it was common knowledge outside in the culture of that day, outside the church, that the, the courts were filled. Lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Attorney after attorney representing someone and people were suing each other left and right. Now, that was back in the day when the church at Corinth existed that Paul is writing to and the Greeks outside around, they were constantly going to court one with another. Does that sound a little bit like our day? 
Sure it does. I mean, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I get so sick and tired of seeing these billboards. Have you been mistreated? Has someone done this to you? Has this happened to you? If so, call us. Call me. You have a right to whatever, and it's usually dollar signs. How sad it is that we live in a culture, we live in a society where we got go, go to go to law, go to court, sue people all the time. How many, how many know people that have been sued or people that have sued? Raise your hand. I mean, just, you just know people that, that's involved in that. I, I, do. I know one guy, <laughs> and I don't know that he does this any longer because I haven't seen him in about 10 or 15 years, but about 10 or 15 years ago, I know he did this because he told me he had an old Ford pickup truck that had a big push bar on the front of it. And you know what he did? He rode around looking for accidents and looking for opportunities to get into wrecks so that he could sue insurance companies. Hello? Listen, there are people out there that do that. I did a little research on this, and, and this is a little bit dated. The, uh, it was just the year 98 that I was able to pull these facts. I was looking for something more current, but I couldn't find them. So, so understand that what I'm going to share with you is from 1998, okay? But listen to this. It talks about the lawsuits that are taking place in the United States of America. And this is in 98, so this is 10 years old. It says in 98 there were over 200,000 civil lawsuits that were filed in federal courts in a 12-month period, there were nearly 1 million lawyers that were handling these, these civil lawsuits. A million attorneys. Why are they in it? Are they in it because they really care about you? <laughs> we know why. <laughs> it's all about a dollar. Went on to find out that in one year, there were more than 12 million suits that were filed in the state-level courts. I mean, our courts are just being bombarded, are they not? With lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. The same thing was taking place in the culture in, at the church at Corinth and outside in their particular area. Now, Paul detects three different tragedies that he finds about this situation in verses 1 through 8. And I want to try to draw your attention to these three tragedies about taking each other to court, believer against believer, and not being able to settle their differences inside the church, but they were suing one another and taking each other to the, to the civil courts of the, of the unbelieving world outside the church. And so he mentions three different tragedies in verses 1 down through verse number 8, and I'll try to point those out to to you in scripture the very first thing that he kind of shines light on is that the believers were presenting a poor testimony to the lost to the unbelievers to those outside the church look what it says in verse number one paul says does any of you who has a complaint against someone dare go to law or to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints look what he says in verse number six he said, brother goes to law against brothers, and that before unbelievers? Paul is trying to put his finger on, on just the fact that they were suing each other and going to court before unbelievers, and what was taking place, they were ruining their testimony. Now, you, there's something you've got to understand about even the unbelieving Jews. The unbelieving Jews, those that were not following Christ, the unbelieving Jews in that day would not even take their legal battles to civil courts. They would settle those disputes in their own synagogue with their own people. Now, I'm not talking about Messianic Jews. 
I'm talking about unbelieving Jews. Jews that were not following Christ. The Jews, they would not take their disagreements outside of their synagogue. I mean, they even had enough wisdom about them to know that they would destroy their witness and their testimony if they did that. But here we see these Messianic Jews and the other believers in Corinth, Christians, the church, that are destroying their testimony by taking their disagreements outside the church. Okay? The second tragedy that I believe we see in verse 2 down through verse number 3 is that the congregation in Corinth, the believers, the Christians in Corinth, Corinth, they had failed to live up, get this now, they had failed to live up to their full position in Christ Jesus. Now what I mean by that, look if you will in verse 2. It says, or do you not know that the saints <coughs> will judge the world? <coughs> and if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smaller cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Not to speak of things pertaining to this life? You see, what's taking place here is that one day the saints will judge the world. We will stand in judgment with the Lord. We will reign with him and we will stand in judgment. I don't have time to unpack all of that. But you can see all of that as you study eschatology and the doctrine of last things. You'll see that one day we as saints, as believers, will reign with Christ and we will stand there in judgment to the world. We'll even judge angels. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about the fallen angels. Those angels that followed Satan and were kicked out of heaven, a third of the angels followed him. They will stand in judgment and will be involved in that judgment that one, one day in the future. So that's what he's talking about. You're not, even, you're, not even, you're not even living up to your full potential, your full position that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, I understand, and I believe the Apostle Paul understood, that there are times when there are friendly, if you will, suits that need to be handled through the court's system to have a seal of approval through the court to make it legal. There are times when, when we need to hire an attorney to, maybe it's a transaction of a piece of property or it's a transaction of some sort where we've just got to have a legal binding document from the civil courts to do that. But we're not viciously going after someone. It's a friendly settlement and something we're trying to, to get settled that we have to go to court. So he's not saying you can't ever go to courts and get things settled. You can't ever go to a attorneys and, and, and get things worked out. So there are times, even in our day, today, I mean, he's bought a house. There are times when you have to sign some legal documents and those things have to be notarized and, and that would be categorized as, as the courts or whatever the case may be. There are times when we have to do some of that. So he's not saying you should never be involved in a legal lawsuit or a suit of some sort, whether it's vicious, I mean, talking about a friendly suit. Y'all understand what I'm saying there? What he's talking about are these vicious attacks on one another where you have wronged me or you have done something unjust to me and I will not settle for that and we will go to court over this thing and I will da 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 You understand? That's what he's saying that we are not. It's that cutthroat mentality. It's that he did it to me and I'm going to do it to him. Bless God all in the name of Jesus. You know, We try to spiritualize it sometimes, don't we? Don't do that. And the church at Corinth was doing that. But what happened is 
Listen, one day, Paul says, one day, you're, you're going to stand and you're going you're to help judge. You're going you're to judge angels one day. And here you are, not even living up to your full position that you have in Christ Jesus with, with the Lord on our side and being empowered by the Holy Spirit and having access to his wisdom, his knowledge, his power, his, all his resources. We should be able to settle our differences in the church. Hello? without going outside the church and ruining our testimony and not even living up to our full position that we have in Christ Jesus that Paul pointed out to them in verses 2 and then verse number 3. And then, of course, the third tragedy is that, and and we see it in verse number 7, is that nobody wins. In the end, we see in verse number 7, the members suing each other, they had already lost. Before the battle even got to the courts, Just the fact that they were attacking each other, they had already lost. Look what Paul says in verse number 7. Or change or challenge for to look back again. God allows some things to come in to humble us. He says, therefore, it is already a total defeat for you that have lawsuits against one another. He said, nobody's going to win. Yeah, you may get X amount of dollars, but you're still going to lose. Why? Their testimony has been destroyed. Their witness has been destroyed. The work of Christ has been destroyed. The name of the church has been drugged through the mud, if you will. The name of Christ has been drugged through the mud. Nobody's going to win when you do this stuff. As a matter of fact, I believe what Paul is saying right here, I believe he's bringing out some of the teachings that Jesus gave over in Matthew's gospel. Let's turn over there real quickly. Let me show you what Jesus said about some of this. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And let's look at verse, let's just start in verse number 38. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 38. Listen to what Jesus said. He says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Someone does it to me, they're going to get it back. That's what you have heard it being said. That was kind of Old Testament type stuff. But look what Jesus, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. As for the one who wants to sue you, And take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you. And don't turn away from one who wants to borrow from you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus was saying, hey, if there's someone that's going to sue you, and they're going to sue you for your shirt, he said, don't even let it happen. Just give it to them. And, and by the way, give them more than they're asking for. Give them your coat also. You've got to understand, back in, in this particular day, the, the Romans in that day, or the, and, and the Greeks, primarily the Romans, whenever they saw a Jewish person, they were almost like the, the scum of the earth in their mindset. And they had authority over them to command them to carry their gear as a Roman soldier. I command you to carry this now it was required that they carry it one mile and Jesus said when they come to you and require you 
to carry whatever it is they're wanting you to carry. Don't just do what's required. Do more. Don't just carry the one mile. Yes, carry that one mile for them, but then choose to carry it one more mile. That's a whole different mindset of this an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth mentality. And unfortunately, in our day, we walk around with this chip on our shoulder and we just dare people to knock it off. And you knock it off, I'm coming after you. And it's sad that you even see it in the church. We're ruining our testimony. We're not taking full advantage of our position in Jesus Christ. And in the end, we all lose. No one wins. You're already defeated, is what Paul... Why? Because you're disobeying the Word of God. And you're going to lose. You may come out with extra money. You may come out with an extra foot of land. Have you ever seen people get in these stupid lawsuits over a foot of property or three foot of property that may run for 50 feet down my border. His fence is six inches over on me, and I will... Who cares? Good night. But people go to court over that stuff, and they'll wind up getting more property, and then they'll turn around and boast and brag, and you know what you've done? You've lost. Yeah, you've got more property, and you may have a little more wealth, and you may have a little more clout as far as society is concerned. And they may look at you and say, well, you don't mess with that person. They'll, they, they'll, take, they'll take you to court. They'll mess. You know, you, you kind of have that intimidation factor through your community. But in God's eyes, you're a loser. You've lost. You may get more, st- you've lost. You've disobeyed God's word. The Lord says, do we see that? Does everybody see that in Matthew's gospel? Chapter 5. Primarily. Let's look at verse 40. But that entire teaching, verse 38 through 42, is awesome. But look at verse 40. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. You say, you know what? If it means that to you, take five feet. I don't care. Will you mow it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. So don't get hung up in that. That's the world's mentality. Jesus said, if they're going to sue you for your shirt, Give them a shirt. You need this too? Here. I'll give you this too. You know, that's the mentality that we're to have. It's not popular in our day. But you want the power of Christ to rest upon you? And you want a powerful witness and testimony to rest upon you? Then you start living like that. And you know what it is? You start living like that and you start living with your hands open say, you know what? It, it's, all, it's all the Lord's anyway and and you, you start living like that, and, and you, you'll be amazed how God will bless you. But when we live like this, we're holding on to it, and it's mine. And you know, The first thing we've done, we've closed up our hands, and we can't even receive a gift from the Lord. You can't receive anything like this. So do you see what Paul is trying to bring out here, what Jesus talked about, and, and then how Paul is bringing out that they, were, they had already lost. They had completely lost, okay? So he's saying now, consider the lost sinners. Consider your testimony. Consider the fact that you're not taking advantage of your full position that you have in Jesus Christ, that you're going to rule and reign with him one day, and you're going to stand in judgment of the unsaved as for, for, and, and even judge the angels that he's mentioning there. And then the fact that when you do go to courts and you assume nobody wins, and I'll put this disclaimer in there, except the devil. 
he sits back and he's laughing and he's carrying on because he knows the church's reputation is being destroyed. The Christian witness is being destroyed. You're going to have no validity whatsoever in your community with your peers and being a witness for Christ. You're going to invite somebody to church and they're going to laugh at you. <laughs> I live as good as you do. Well, I, a matter of fact, I don't do as bad as some of the stuff that you're doing. And you're going to lose your witness. And, and how sad it is to, to be able to be in a position where we don't have that strong witness and really we'll make someone stumble and fall and we will be held accountable for that one day as well. So he's saying consider the lost sinners in verse number one down through verse number eight. Now maybe I will be able to get through the latter part of this, okay? Um, look in verses nine down through verse number 20. <clears throat> he says, do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. You need to underline that or highlight that or do something with that. Get a hold of that. Do not be deceived. Satan's number one job is to deceive you. To get you thinking a little bit different, a little contrary to God's word. Paul says, do you not know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now there's what he's saying. Pay attention to this. Do not be deceived. These people will not. Now, you got to decide do you believe God's word? Do you believe John 3.16? How many believe John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We believe that. I believe that. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's the entire Bible in a nutshell. In one verse it comes down to that. We believe that. And really we have no problem believing that, do we? We want to believe that. But if you're going to believe John 3.16 then you also have to believe 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 9. That these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says, okay? But look what he says in verse 11. Some of you were like this. Some of you were like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God what he was saying hey this is who you used to be but you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ you've been saved you've been sanctified you've been separated you've been set apart you are no longer like that and thank God for that he says for such were some of you but thank God you're not like that that's who we used to be that's the old man the old person some of you were like this he says but you were washed Verse 12, he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. And there's a lot that can be said right there, and you need to highlight that verse, get a hold of that, and study that out. Everything is permissible, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, but God would do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and for the, for the Lord of, for the body. 
And God raised up the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by his power. Verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are the members of Christ? So should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Do you not know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Listen, guys, there are sins against the body. And any type of sexual sin is a sin against your own body. That means there's going to be judgment brought on your physical body for those sexual sins. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Get this next phrase. Get a hold of this, church. Get a hold of this, believers. Get a hold of this, professing Christians. You are not your own. Wow. You relinquish that. Maybe no one ever told you you did. But you see it now in God's word. So all of us that are right here this morning will be held accountable for that verse. Right? To whom much is given, much is required. So really what you're doing by sitting in these Bible classes, there's more and more and more and more that's going to be required of you because you're gaining more and more knowledge and you're learning more and more. So we are without excuse. Right? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Paul is kind of driving the last nail in the coffin, if you will, on this subject. And he's just nailing it down here in this latter part. But here we see where he's wanting us to consider the Lord, consider God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, consider our vessel, our body, which is the sanctuary, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Consider who owns us. Consider who purchased us, who bought us. Consider who the Lord of our life is. You see, there's a lot of people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And really all they're using him for is a fire escape from hell. Just don't want to go to hell, preacher. What I got to do is stay out of hell. Okay, that's what I'll do. And they're professing him as their savior, but they're really not allowing him to be Lord of their life because we want to control our life. No, I don't want to give all that up. Well, that's what we give up. We allow him to come into our heart and into our life and sit on the throne of our life. How many has ever seen the, um, uh, the little... Um, the little gospel track that Dr. Bill Bright uh, put out called The Four Spiritual Laws. And I mean, I mean, you've seen that. A follow-up to that was a, um, a little track that he put out. And this was uh, Campus Crusade for Christ that put this out. And Dr. Bill Bright's going on to be with the Lord, a fantastic evangelist that, uh, that probably, probably really led more people to the Lord than Billy Graham maybe even thought about doing through his work and his ongoing ministry that's even taking place even today. Um, but in there, it's talking, about, it's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and how to live a Spirit-filled life. 
And in that, has anybody ever seen that? It's the circles. And, and you have the first circle, which is an unsafe person. And there's a little chair. I'm trying to do a visual right here for you. Can you see it? The circle. And then there's a little chair inside that circle. And there's an S that's sitting on the throne. Now the circle is, represents your life. And the chair represents the, the, the throne of your life. And who's sitting on that? And for the unsaved person, there's an S there. And it's self. And then outside the circle, there's a cross, and that represents Jesus and Christ. And he's outside the unsaved person's life. And, and inside the circle, there's his life and the chair and self is on the throne. And, and everything, it's got all these other dots, and everything's just chaotic. And then there's another circle. That's the first one. The second circle is another circle that represents the life. There's another circle that represents, or another chair in it that represents the throne. And on this particular circle, there's... An S, self is still on the throne. But inside this circle is the cross. Now that just means that this particular person has allowed Jesus to come into their life. But everything is still kind of chaotic with all the other dots that are there. Why? Because self is still on the throne. That person, yes, they've accepted Christ as their Savior, but they are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not walking in the power and in the authority of God because self is still on the throne. Yes, God's in their life, but he's not controlling their life. And then there's a third circle. You can find this anywhere on the Internet. If you'll Google Bill Bright and, and Four Spiritual Laws and, and what have you, you'll, you'll find all this there. There's a third circle, and it has the circle that represents the life, the chair in the circle, but this time now, the cross, which represents Jesus, is on that chair. And S is off of the chair and sitting off to the side inside the life, but allowing the Lord to sit on the throne and be the Lord of that life. And the other dots, it represents how things are so much more organized. And the life is really fluent under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of those are choices that we get to make. Who are we going to allow be the Lord of our life and sit on the throne of our heart and our life. Now you got to understand, God will never push himself into that spot. He won't do it. He'll only go there when he is asked. You remember in Revelation 3.20, the Lord said, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. In other words, he's waiting for an invitation. He, he's not going to bully his way into your life. And here, I believe, is what Paul is trying to get to in the nucleus of this latter part. Yes, all things are permissible, but they're not all expedient. They're not all profitable for you. Yes, we see that none of these people are going to inherit heaven, but we've been washed. We used to be like that. And now we see that we are not our own. We've been purchased. We've been bought with a price. And we now need to glorify God in our body. So he's trying to drive home the latter part here, and there are several different arguments that I want to bring out, and I've got about nine minutes after. Is that time correct? I'm not going to be able to do these justice if I get to them because I'm going to run too late. But what I want you to do, I want you to study verses 9 through the latter part of that chapter this week through verse number 20, and be prepared to come back, and I'm going to share with you uh, several different arguments that he gives on why we need to allow the Holy Spirit to be the Lord of our life or to sit on the throne of our life and then some of the things that they're doing, he's refuting some of what they may be saying 
in the latter part of this chapter right here, okay? So anyhow, in chapter 5, we see sexual immorality in the church. In chapter 6, the first part of it, we see brother suing brother, going to court against each other with that cutthroat mentality. This was a messed up church, was it not? But I want you to see, this church had tremendous potential. Of all the churches in the, in the entire New Testament, there was no church as gifted as the church at Corinth. They had tremendous potential in that church, but their focus was skewed. They were looking at man, looking at one another, looking out the sins of the world and bringing it into the church instead of looking at God and allowing him to sit on the throne of their life and be the Lord of their life. Now, here, here's something, and just wrapping up. Most of the serious problems that take place in a church when there's something boiling and there's a cancer and it's coming to a head and there has to be surgery right away and I mean there's an issue to take care of whether it be church discipline or, or there's, a, there's a huge fire that's got to be put out I mean most of the serious problems and troubles in a local church let me tell you where it comes from it comes from immature believers that will not allow the Lord Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of their life I is in the way. Self is in the way. I've been wronged. I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to get even. I am not going to allow this to take place. That's usually where most of your troubles and problems come from is someone that is an immature. They're, just, they're still on the milk of the word. They're not on the meat. They're still looking at man and not to God. And self is still on the throne. The Holy Spirit's not there because when the Holy Spirit's there, when the Lord's there on the throne of my life, there's going to be a tremendous spirit of humility and submission take place. And now it's not all about me. Does that make sense? The biggest problem at the church at Corinth, they were immature, spiritually immature. And those things caused a lot of these problems. And we need to pray that God help us not be that. Yes, we've got people at all different spiritual levels in our church, which is good. Matter of fact, I was sharing with someone the other day, the, the fact that we have people that are still on the milk of the word, and the fact that we have people that are, that are now on blended food, and, and maybe it's the, uh, the Gerber baby food, if you will, to use an analogy, or, and, and now we've got some that's, that's eating now for the first time off the table, and just little baby bites, and, and we've got some that eat at Longhorns every day, and just biggest steak you can get, I mean, they're just there. Spiritually speaking, the fact that we have people at all those different levels is a tremendous sign that we have a healthy church. Okay, my goal is not to get everybody at one time over here at Longhorns eating steak. Because if that happens, we become very inward. We become very self, self-centered and self-sufficient as a church. We're not involved in evangelism any longer. We're not training people up in the word. So we want that scale of differences. What we don't want is for someone to be on the milk of the word and stay there year after year after year after year. We want to progress them. And the only way that will happen is when we take seriously the teaching of this book. That's the only way that we can grow up spiritually. And that's why this year is a year of discipleship. This whole year, my whole theme, my whole focus is a, is a year of discipleship. 
That's why we're doing the Bible surveys. We're going to be doing one of those a month. The first Sunday of every month, we're going to have a little Bible survey. We're going to take time in our service and do that. That's why we're implementing our, our Sunday school program here in the church now and training up our kids and getting them into the Word of God. The only way that we can grow is to get in this book. We'll not grow apart from this. Does everybody agree with that? We will not grow apart from this, okay? So you need to get in this book, and you need to be reading it every single day of your life so that you can grow spiritually as well. All right, I got to stop. Let, let's pray, and I'll be done, and then we'll get ready for our worship service. Father, thank you for this time together to study your word. And, and God, your word is so powerful. And Lord, it's alive, and it's quick, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Hebrews says that it divides asunder of soul and spirit and marrow and quick. And God, I just pray that today your word has done that particular work in all of our hearts and our lives and God I pray every single time I study your word that you'd convict me that you would put your finger on areas in my own life that are not right areas that you're not pleased with convict me of it God and help me to repent of it and ask you to help me in those areas so that I can grow in my faith and in my knowledge of your word and be a mature believer and Father, I pray that we would all have that receptive spirit to your Holy Spirit. And John 14, 15, 16 teaches us that that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict and how we live in an age where, where people, and unfortunately and sadly, even professing Christians, church members, do not want to feel convicted. God, forgive us of that and help us, Lord, to receive that so that we can grow and be more like you. And Father, I ask your blessings on each one that is here today. And, and God, help each one of them and all of us collectively together to increase in our Bible knowledge so that we can grow to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you're all...